0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. All right. Good morning everyone. It's great to see everyone here this morning. Um, Today I'm going to be speaking on Christ and the church and what we can learn from Him to help us be better husbands and wives. Uh, To introduce the the idea of this study, we're going to read from Ephesians 5:22 to 32 The Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Many of us here are married. It uh, looks like from the, from the crowd, all of us are married in this room. So one thing I've learned from being married is that it's vastly different from dating. When you're dating, when you have a small argument, a small fight, you eventually get to go home to your own separate places and, and chill out. When you get annoyed by the other person, you get to go home and relax and not have to deal with that. But when you're married, you're there all the time, right? When you wake up, when you get home, when you go to sleep. It's 24-7, 365. And eventually it begins to be a little mundane, a little routine, and we even start to feel a little contempt towards each other. You see, the daily wear and tear of life gets to us, and we forget how we ought to feel towards our wives, or how we ought to treat each other as husbands and wife. Today, the main focus I want to take from this study is how we can, of how we can learn from Christ and the church, and how he treats the church, and how, can, how that can make us be better husbands. But first, Paul actually addresses the wives in Ephesians 5. He says, wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. If we were to read this verse and only this verse, we would think that the husband is just some dictator over his wife. He is a dictator in the marriage. And many men, unfortunately, have taken this verse to such a degree. Do as I say, you're supposed to submit to me. But she is not your doormat. She is not someone you can just walk all over. Remember, you are both Christians. You are both joint heirs of God with Jesus. Paul then begins to give us this correlation, this analogy between Christ and the church and marriage. He begins by saying, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as a the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Submission is a choice our sisters get to make. It's not something we can make them do. And to better help understand this, let's look at the analogy of Christ in the church. We, as a church, weren't forced into submission of Christ. We all made the choice to follow him, to submit to him. But I ask you this, why are we so willing to submit to Christ? Is it because we're told to? We submit to Christ because of his actions, his willingness to submit to the Father and die for us. In Matthew 26, Jesus prayed three times, let this cup pass from me. He prayed the same thing three times. And in the end, he ended up drinking from the cup and submitting unto the will of his Father. Jesus' desire was to have any other possible way to go about cleansing the world's sins, but there was only one way to go about it. And who better to learn about submission than Jesus himself? He not only taught us, but he put it into practice. Next, Paul talks to the husbands here. In verse 25, Husbands, submit your. Sorry. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ loves his church, and we know this because of what he did on Calvary. Paul tells us, love your wife in that exact same manner. First and foremost, let's define what love is. Love is one of those words that has many different meanings. For instance, I love coffee. I love my wife. I love my brothers in Christ. I love my mom. Same word, three different meanings, three different forms of love. You see, I don't love coffee the same way I love my wife. I don't love my mom the same way I love my brothers. And the English language has only one word to describe all those types of love. The Greek language has many different forms of words to describe love. For instance, storge is familial love. It is love for your family, your mom, your dad, brothers, sister, cousins, etc. We also have philia, brotherly love. For instance... Um, Think of Philadelphia, often referred to as the city of brotherly love, and that's where that word comes from. This is affectionate love, love for all of your brothers and sisters in this room, or love for your best friend. We also have eros. This is romantic love, the type of love between a husband and wife. It's the passionate love, to better say it. Um, We also have agape. This is selfless, universal, unconditional love. And this is the type of love that Paul was telling us that Christ has for us, and the type of love we ought to have for our wives. Paul, in Ephesians 5, uses the verb form of agape, and it's agapeo, sorry, and its strong numbers G25. It's a verb form as in it requires an action. We're proving and showing our love. It is one thing to say, I love my wife, but if I don't show and prove my love for her, what good is it? The same goes for Christ in the church. Christ simply telling us to love one another and telling us that he loves us wouldn't have been, have, wouldn't have been the same if he didn't put into action. right? For Christ loved us by purchasing us with his own blood. Acts twenty twenty eight. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He even gave himself, Galatians 1.4, 1, 1, 4, who Jesus gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father. Christ's love was a sacrificial, a selfless love. Romans 5.8, But God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This, this right here is love. Marriage is to reflect Christ in the church. So let's look at how we ought to actually love our wives. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives. Or agapeo, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Our love for our wives must reflect that of Christ's love Christ's love for the church. And that it's a kind of sacrificial type of love. I'm not trying to be funny by saying this, but marriage is death. It's a sacrificial death. Our marriage vows are the beginning of a lifelong practice of death. As someone once said, it's it is of giving not only all that you have, but all that you are. A man who does not die for his wife does not come close to the love that he is called to to the love that Christ calls us to. This means a death to your time, sacrificing some time, sacrificing your pleasures, and anything of the sorts. And plus, is this not what we go through on a daily basis with Christ? Are we not told to put to death our old man and carry our cross daily? It's thus, it's the same idea, the same principle in marriage. As it takes a strong Christian to deny himself daily, it also takes a strong man to die for his wife. Paul then tells us to sanctify our wives. And that's the next thing we can learn from Christ, is that Christ wants His church pure, holy. He wants to save His church. Ephesians 5, 26 and 29, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Christ's love is sacrifice and its purpose was towards the sanctification of the church. Sanctifying means making something holy or declaring something holy. I mean, just look at the repeated words that Paul gives us here. Christ wants to make his church glorious. He doesn't want it to have spot nor wrinkle. He wants it to be holy and without blemish. Christ is obsessed with the cleanliness of the church. Christ wants His church free of sin. He wants His church fit for the service of others. He wants to esteem it glorious and beautiful. And how did Jesus go about accomplishing this? Well, let's look at Scripture. Ephesians 5 tells us in verse 26, it's by the washing of water by the Word. And this is what Jesus also told Nicodemus in John 3, 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Peter also tells us this in 1 Peter three twenty one. The like figure went to even baptism doth now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are sanctified by the washing away of our sins through the blood of Jesus, who is the Word. Christ did everything to sanctify his church, did he not? Did he not show, shed his own blood for the sanctifying of his church? Did he not give up his own will to make his church holy? Husbands, we, what are we doing to sanctify our, lo- our wives? As I mentioned earlier, sanctifying means declaring or making something holy. How do we go about this? Well, verse 26 tells us, as we just read, by the washing of water by the word. By what word? Well, by God's word. I beg the question, are you helping your wife dig into God's word and making her holy? Do you want to see your wife saved? I can tell you right now, this is where I fail as a husband. It's not that I don't want to see my wife saved because I do. I'm just not helping her in that regard. Literally, as I was putting this lesson together, she was in the kitchen um, cooking up dinner while I was Uh, preparing for this lesson and there's nothing inherently bad about that but let me give you this scenario this is a scenario that happens all the time in my house she's in the kitchen preparing a meal while I'm in the room studying we have dinner I go back to my study she goes back to the kitchen um and cleans up it gets late she's tired she she she, she wants to go and take a shower, and she does. And by the time she's done, it's 10, 11 o'clock. It's way too late to study or even read her Bible. So she goes to bed, she tells herself, "I'll study tomorrow. Tomorrow comes and the same thing happens. It's a never-ending cycle. But why? Why is she doing that alone? Why am I studying alone? Well, I might say, I prefer to study alone. You know I study better alone. It's my study, ta- study time with God how selfish am i it's starting to sound like the rich fool who all you said was i i me and my yeah i may be tired from work but what are a few dirty dishes of wiping down of counters and tables sweeping and mopping so that my wife can sit down and study her bible what are you sacrificing maybe 30 minutes this is part of that agape love we talked about earlier <clears throat> My wife actually thinks I love washing dishes because I'm constantly doing it, but in reality, I hate it. There's water everywhere, you know, my shirt's soaking wet by the end, my hands are all pruney, my feet hurt by standing at the sink the whole time. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4:17, for our light affliction is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I know this may be taken a little out of context, but Is it really? As we just read and studied earlier, the Christian life and the married life are similar in a lot of ways. And the same goes for this. Paul here is telling us that our trials are nothing to be compared to the glory that we're going to receive. The same goes for our marriage. This small, tedious task of washing dishes will be nothing compared to the joy and the love my wife is going to have for me. So I asked, husbands, do you esteem to help your wife be holy and pure, just as Christ does the church? Are you a husband that makes it easier for your wife to serve? If not, be a husband that does. For instance, you can clean while she sits down and studies. You can watch the kids while she goes out and serves the kingdom. You sanctify her and make her a stronger Christian. In verse 28 of Ephesians we are commanded to love our wives once more. But this time, Paul tells us to love her as our own bodies. Verse 28, the Bible says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. For he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherished, cherished it even as the Lord of the church. We are given the analogy of how Christ does the same with the church. A great example of Christ demonstrating his love for us as his own body is when Paul, or back then known as Saul, was persecuting the church. In Acts 26, verse 9-11, through the Bible says, Verily I thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Which thing I did so, I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison having received authority from the chief priests, and and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Paul here was saying that he imprisoned and even gave the order to kill many of our early brothers and sisters. But one day on the way to Damascus, Paul was met by this great light, and the road in verse 14 and 15 we tells us what happened and when we were all fallen to the earth by this great light I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue tongue Saul Saul why persecutest thou me it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks and I said who art thou Lord and he said I am Jesus whom thou persecutest now was Paul actually persecuting Jesus As we just read in verses 9 through 11, it was telling us that Paul was persecuting the saints, those that were in the church. And since Christ and the church are one, he was persecuting Jesus by persecuting his bride, the church. Ephesians 5.30, For we are all members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Paul tells us we need to love our wives as our own body. And as a married couple, we are now one. We are not two separate people, but one. Commonly used passages in wedding ceremonies, Matthew 194 through 6 the Bible says, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that, that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. Therefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. Well, therefore God hath joined together, let let not man put asunder. In Genesis 2, 4, all the way back in the beginning, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. One thing I learned from running is that when one part of the body is hurting, the whole body is hurting. When I... I experienced this early on when I started running. Uh, I went out too fast, too soon. I was trying to beat a record every day, which you're not supposed to do, apparently. Um, but that eventually led, led to hip pain, and that hip pain worked down, worked its way down to its knee, to my knee, and eventually down to my shin, causing me shin splints. Because my body wasn't working as one cohesive unit, it couldn't function as it should have. It's the same thing in marriage. When one part of the marriage is hurting, the whole marriage is hurting. When one is tired, they're both tired. When one can't carry the load, the other half helps carry that load. And this is what Jesus does for us and does, does for us. When we're tired and heavy laden, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ has promised us rest from our burdens that we, care, that, we, that we carry because of our sins. You know, the guilt, the misery, the power that sin has against us. Christ says, I will help you. I will give you rest. When we hunger and thirst, the Bible says in, in John 6, 30, 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Matthew 5, 6, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus said, I will feed you what you truly need. Jesus is also our protector, as we just saw with with Paul. Jesus is going to protect us and defend us. As we made the connection between Christ and the church, and a husband and a wife, let, let me boldly say this. Husbands, you are the Christ figure in your marriage. If you don't take anything from this lesson, please take this. Let the reason you follow Christ be the same reason your wife follows you. You see, for marriage is gospel reflecting. Romans, oh sorry. As I mentioned earlier, marriage is death, but it is also life. It's the same kind of thing with the Christian life. As Christians, we are told to put off our old sinful man, bury him, and rise in the newness of life with Christ. And that's what we're told in Romans 6, 3-4. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried buried with him and buried him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also should walk in newness of life. Likewise in marriage, we kill off our old, single, bachelor self. Get rid of it and walk in the newness of life with your wife as one. Now, some takeaways in, from this lesson. Submit unto your wives. This is Paul speaking to the wives. Oh, sorry. <laughs> This is Paul speaking to the wives. Submit unto your husbands as how we all submit unto Christ. Husbands, be a man worth submitting to. Be the Christ figure. Husbands, love your your wife, love her unconditionally with that agapeo type of love. And not just when we're feeling it. God loved us even while we were yet sinners. Sanctify her. Help glorify and sanctify your wife. I ask this, what does God glory in, in her ability in the kitchen and around the house or in her knowledge and understanding of God's word? Think of Mary and Martha. Martha was busy serving while Mary was at the feet of Jesus listening. Jesus told Martha, you are worried of many things. While Mary, she has chosen the good thing. Love her as yourself. Love your wife as you do your own body. And also, marriage should reflect the gospel. Before I close, I do want to read this from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. He has this to say about love. What we call being in love is a glorious state, and in several ways good for us, in its full intensity or even to last at all. Knowledge can last, principles can last, habits can last, but feelings come and go. And in fact, whatever people say, the state being in love usually does not last. If the fairy tale ending, they lived happily ever after, is taken to mean they, fe- they felt for the next 50 years exactly as they felt the day before they were married, then it says what probably never was nor ever could be true and would be highly undes- undesirable if it were. Who could bear to live in that excitement for even five years? What would become of your work, your appetite, your sleep, your friendships? But of course, ceasing to be be in love need not mean ceasing to love. Love in the second sense, love as distinct from being in love, is not merely a feeling, it is a deep unity, maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by, in Christian marriages, the grace which both parties ask. And receive of God. They can have this love for each other even at those moments when they do not like each other, as you love yourself even when you don't like yourself. They can retain this love even when each would easily, if they allowed themselves, be in love with someone else. Being in love first moved them to promise fidelity. This quieter love enables them to keep the promise. It is on this love that the engine of marriage is run. Being in love is the explosion that started it all. So in conclusion, I hope this lesson has benefited you as much as it has me. At the very least, I pray that helps you reflect your role as a husband and ask the question, am I loving my wife as I'm commanded to? And I don't want to close off this lesson without offering an invitation. And if you require prayers from the church or anything of the sort, Please come forward as we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.